0: Hey, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll hear the surprising story of how GPS was invented from a very special guest, Hugo Fruhoff, one of the inventors of GPS. But first, you'll learn about how planning cheat days could make your next goal easier to achieve. Let's satisfy some curiosity. People almost never keep their New Year's resolutions. About 80% of the time, we don't save the money or eat the healthy diet that we planned on. Oddly, that might be because we try too hard. According to a recent study, the secret to sticking with a long term resolution might be, well, breaking it. Now, there are two ways to break a resolution. One is by giving into a craving, which can feel like a loss of control. The other way is by planning cheat days in advance, where you choose to behave in a less restricted way. This second way, which scientists call planned hedonic deviation, can actually make us feel more in control of ourselves, not to mention happier and more motivated. Researchers found this in a study that compared two diets. Both allowed participants to eat the same amount, but they allocated the calories differently. The straight goal-striving diet allowed participants the same number of calories every day. The intermittent goal-striving diet, on the other hand, allowed fewer calories six days a week and gave participants one weekly cheat day where they could eat up to 2,700 calories. First, researchers asked participants to just think about one of the two diets. Then they asked another group to actually do the diets for two weeks. Both experiments had similar results. People with a cheat day to look forward to reported more self-control and could come up with more strategies for managing the munchies. This isn't just a dieting thing, though. The team also surveyed people with various long-term self-regulation goals, like saving money, eating healthier, and exercising more. Whatever the goal, the survey randomly suggested either a straight striving or intermittent striving approach to it, then asked how motivated and interested people felt about the plan. People reported stronger motivation to pursue their goal when the survey suggested intermittent striving, and understandably so. It's incredibly difficult to quit our vice's cold turkey or just start a whole new better habit. Self-improvement is like any type of work, easier with some breaks built in.
0: A lot of today's technology is possible thanks to the Global Positioning System, better known as GPS. Since it's something you probably use every day, we thought we'd teach you a little about how it actually works and what it took to invent it. With some help from a very special guest. Hugo Fruhoff is one of the inventors of GPS, and in December he was one of four engineers who received the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering. The award came along with a cool cash prize of one million British pounds, and it was presented by Prince Charles, His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales. The prize is the world's most prestigious engineering accolade, and it celebrates the global impact of engineering innovation on humanity. So yeah, we figured he'd be a cool guy to talk to. Hugo told us that we had to launch a whole new set of satellites into the sky in order to make GPS happen in the first place, since those satellites had to be about 12,550 miles away, or just over 20,000 kilometers. And they had to be that high because of the way GPS works in the first
2: place. The main reason for it being such a high orbit is because you want to illuminate the entire globe with each satellite. In other words, think about the radiation of the satellite, think about using a flashlight, and, and going on a beach ball, if you're too close to the beach ball, you get just a little spot that that's illuminated in the in the middle. But if you keep backing up that flashlight, pretty soon you know your illumination gets bigger and bigger, and pretty soon it goes from horizon to horizon in, in the whole ball. So the the uh, the orbit really uh, requires that the, each satellite can be seen anywhere on the globe facing the satellite. And uh, by by that method, then. It takes less satellites, of course. It, uh, you you know need basically 24 satellites to navigate globally. But uh, it's, it's a brilliant concept for the fact that uh, you don't have any switching between two satellites while you're trying to receive anything. You get that satellite, and you'll get it uh, everywhere on the globe up to the five-degree horizon. In other words, it, you can't get it to the edge, but it's like the sun being at the five-degree uh, horizon coming up. So that's uh, basically the entire Earth. As a matter of fact, it's even made bigger so that, uh, that the, the umbrella, so to speak, uh, as you radiate, uh, actually is bigger than the Earth's circle. And it actually radiates out uh, beyond the, the Earth. In other words, it, uh, you could be, you probably receive that signal with the right antenna a little bit on the other side where there wasn't no GPS.
0: Hugo told us that launching satellites that high into the sky was no easy task because there is a ton of radiation at that altitude. But he and his colleagues figured out a way to protect the satellite components from radiation to help them survive up there. And as if that's not enough, here's the story of what happened once the satellite network was in place.
2: So now when when you make the satellite, then you have... Um... It started uh, back in, uh, you know, in we activated the systems in, in February 1978 when we tested the first satellite. Basically, we put in one signal uh, that would be commercially capable, and then two signals at that time for, for the military that were totally encrypted that you can't see. The snafu came when we started launching the first sets of satellites because, you uh, the commercial open signal uh, ended up being much better, really, than what we predicted. And so you could basically navigate with that to, you know, at, at that time, the clocks were, today the clocks are 100 times better than they were, you know, 40 years ago. But at that time, uh, you could still navigate to really less than 30 feet. And, uh, and, of course, we started launching satellites. We start getting some in in 1980. And uh, President Reagan got uh, cold feet and thought uh, maybe this could be a, a problem for us, for terrorism. And uh, so therefore he asked that the commercial signal be degraded. So he signed a presidential directive in January of 1980. And the commercial signal now was simply made, uh, made to be only two to 300 uh, feet you know, within a circle, and uh, we we designed it purposely so that the ground controllers, GPS ground controllers, could... Could play with that to make it, uh, you know, as good as it can be, or degrade it uh, to whatever level the government wanted.
1: Oh my gosh, I had no idea. So we had the technology to make really accurate GPS, but because of national security issues, we decided not to.
2: For the no, but that, but that's just the point. It, it's com- commercial military coexistence, I like to call it. The commercial was degraded. The military operated perfectly uh, from starting 1980. See, because they're encrypted signal, you don't use their signal to navigate. But we didn't realize, I guess, uh, that the commercial signal could be a real problem during the early days during Reagan's administration. So he he degraded it. So now, uh, just because it was degraded 300 feet, it uh, it this GPS still had a global impact. The reason is, is the. Three hundred feet, you could still find a harbor with it. You could still know exactly, you know, if you're in a park and stuff like. That. So, car navigation was limited. There was no no such things as maps. Maps is not a product of the military. It's a product of commercial people driving GPS around and saying, "Ah, this coordinate is uh, Lime Street, and this coordinate is the, the you know the the freeway." So somebody had to drive all the streets in order to make up your map, and that was a commercial element. But in the early 1980s. Uh, the commercial signal, even though 300 feet, had enormous world impact. For example, you couldn't navigate accurately, but you could—if you weren't moving—you could position accurately. So, therefore, all the cell sites used GPS uh, uh, in the later parts of 1980s to to position the cell site exactly where it is. Banking began to have banking transactions and. Time stamping to, you know, a billionth of a second. All those things were available and started to change the world, although the navigation part of it was limited. If you were moving, you were limited at 300 feet. If you were sitting still, there's a, all kinds of things. Not to even speak of the internet. The internet is completely timed with GPS and all that was fully functional while the system was degraded. But then President Clinton this is now uh, year 2000. Looked at that and said, gee, uh, why don't we, other people are coming online with systems such as GPS and da da da. And he didn't worry about the security threat. And he said, put out a presidential directive and said, okay, give the world the signal the commercial unencrypted signal at full capability. And while you were sleeping in your bed, you, you you went to bed at 400 feet, 300 feet accuracy, and you woke up at about five to six foot accuracy. That's exactly the story. And of course, uh, it didn't take more than a year before the, it actually exploded. In today, the GPS is the most well-known word in the world, next to Coke.
0: Yeah, so we had some pretty cool technology back in the 80s. Who knew GPS was so advanced? Again, that was Hugo Fruhoff, an adjunct professor at Pepperdine University's Graduate School and one of the inventors of GPS. You can find links to learn more about Hugo, the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering, and more in today's show notes. And Hugo will be back next week to talk more about how GPS has changed the world. What an episode, Ashley.
1: Yeah, what did we learn today?
0: Well, it feels really bad when you break a bad habit, so maybe you should just build in some cheat days if you want to achieve your goal. Also, if you want to see the most legendary cheat days, you know where to go.
1: What? The where? Rock's
0: Instagram.
1: Oh, yeah. The Rock's pretty great to see. Didn't he eat like 40 pounds of trout or something?
0: <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> He has posted some pretty fantastic cheat days. Yeah. It'll be like a mountain of burgers or donuts or whatever it is. It's a good time.
1: I do love The Rock. And we also learned that they had the technology to navigate really well using GPS in like 1978. And they made it worse for the general public because they were afraid of national security issues. I feel like this is a conspiracy theory, right? Like people are like, "Oh, they have it. They just won't give it to us." They they have the technology and they actually did.
0: Yeah, Hugo actually told us in another part of the interview that Part of the reason it took 40-some years for he and his colleagues to receive the Queen Elizabeth's Prize for Engineering is because the full impact of GPS wasn't realized until much later than it should have been or could have been because of these restrictions, which makes sense. I mean, national security can be a pretty important thing. But, yeah, just the fact that that technology was there is pretty outstanding.
1: I mean, yeah, I guess a really powerful technology can also be used for really terrible, evil stuff. So. Makes sense, I guess.
0: Fortunately, though, it can also be used to get me where I'm going on time. Today's first story was written by Mae Race and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily.
1: Today's episode was scripted, produced, and edited by Cody Goff.
0: Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few
1: minutes. And until then, stay curious.